Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. It's safe to say that our level of overall human-level happiness has taken a bit of a blow in the past two years. From watching as catastrophic bushfires tore across the country to pivoting straight into a global pandemic, we've had a fair bit of fear and negativity on our plates of late. We've explored how that's impacting us. The pressure on our mental health services, we're not always dealing with things well, we've seen a divide open up between us and violence and hate the result. So how do we find our happiness again? We speak to an expert to try and find out how we reclaim the person we were before the pandemic changed everything. In author Pip Lincoln's book, When Life Is Not Peachy, she talks about dealing with hard times as requiring the equivalent of Olympic-level effort. Those times bringing a heaviness that keeps our eyes closed and our lungs struggling to take a decent breath. A feeling scared, on edge and cold. There's a shame and guilt mixed in with all that, that I'm dealing with these overwhelming feelings when there are others in a much worse position than me. We can feel foggy, stuck, disconnected, yearning for a time when the COVID pandemic wasn't an everyday discussion. Sometimes those feelings manifest in physical ways. We might be quicker to cry, find it tougher to sleep. It could mess with your menstrual cycle, bring on extra headaches or migraines. Anxiety and depression might kick up a gear too. We may find ourselves turning to crutches to get us through, like food, alcohol or drugs. We know we need hard times and sadness sometimes. Not only is it a part of life, but it's also needed to appreciate the good times. But when Pip wrote that book, the hard times were supposed to pass relatively quickly, not require us to keep up that Olympic-level effort for nearly two years. So it's not hard to see why the thought of pure, unadulterated happiness feels a bit far away right now, especially with the country and the world so divided on all things vaccine, lockdown, freedoms and facts. So how do we reclaim our happiness? How do we do that when everything around us is a little bit or even a big bit shit? Brock Bastian is a professor in the School of Psychological Sciences at the University of Melbourne. He's trained as a social psychologist and his research focuses on the topics of ethics and well-being, pain, happiness and morality. Brock, I suppose we should start with what your definition of happiness actually is. Well, there's different ways of thinking about happiness. Certainly positive mood and feeling happy emotions is a part of it. That's the hedonic component of it. But really, it should be defined more broadly. Often we limit our thinking of what happiness is to that component, but it really should be defined more broadly, including things like meaning and purpose in life, social connection, feeling engaged with what we do. And sometimes we find that you know some of those things that we're doing which bring us happiness might not bring us immediate positive affect or you know, feelings of happiness, but they're longer term kind of contributors to our well-being or happiness. So that's a more eudaimonic view of happiness, which is a little bit broader. 
Well, can we talk about some of the ways in which we're being told right now to reclaim our happiness? I don't think we've ever in our entire lives had more people tell us ways in which we can make ourselves feel better, but they include things like exercising or reaching out to people or being kind to ourselves and to others. Are those things enough to get us through a fairly heavy time? Well, those three things you just mentioned are really good. I think that exercise is often underrated in terms of how much it really can help us manage our emotion and our mental health. Exercise is a really big one. And in fact, you know, some of the research shows it's about as effective as seeing a psychologist. Not that I should be advertising that perhaps, but it's a very, very effective approach to mental health. The other one, of course, is connecting with others. Social connection is really important. I think that's one of the things, particularly for those of us who are in prolonged lockdowns, that lack of connection or the ability to have connection in our daily lives just starts to become cumulative and it can kind of creep up on you before you realise it. You know, you're sort of wondering what the purpose of it all is and wondering why your life seems sort of bereft of some of the kind of the meatiness that it used to have. And I think a lot of that is actually just those even casual connections you might have with people on a day-to-day basis that we're missing. Even just walking into the local shopping strip and having someone say hello when you go to the bakery or something like that. So social connection is a huge one. And of course, you also mentioned kindness, being kind to ourselves, self-compassion. And that's really important too. I think often we do get a little bit hard on ourselves. You know, what's wrong with me? Why aren't I coping? How come I'm not doing as well as I normally would? And the interesting thing is that, you know, you have to remind people, well, this is a pandemic. It's a really difficult set of circumstances we find ourselves in. And you wouldn't expect to be coping as well as you normally do. But often we start to blame ourselves or get down on ourselves for the fact that we're not coping at the levels we think we should. What about a more broad collective happiness? That's looking at ourselves and trying to focus on our individual happiness. But what about the world as being a happy place? Do you think we can work on global happiness, especially at a time where it seems like so many are so very unhappy? One of the important contributors to our own happiness is to be effective in the world, to live a good life, which also means to do good and to build others up as well as trying to build ourselves up. In fact, one doesn't happen without the other. So, of course, I think trying to do our small part to connect with others, to make a difference in their lives, to increase their levels of happiness is really, really important. Of course, when you talk about global happiness, that even makes me feel a little bit overwhelmed. So. I think, you know, it's obviously small things that we can do on a daily basis that can contribute to other people's well-being and happiness in our communities. But that feeds right back around and then into our own levels of happiness and well-being as well. And I I think, you know, you really can't have one without the other. And that's also part of that social connection. You know, connecting with people is actually about promoting and building them as well as ourselves in those interactions. Should we be trying to escape or embrace the situation that we find us in with the COVID-19 pandemic in particular, there's a lot of people who do everything they can to pretend like nothing bad is happening. And there are other people who are getting to a point of acceptance. What will make us happy? Acceptance. We know very well that trying to escape things that we don't like, unpleasant feelings, emotions, experiences in life, trying to pretend they're not happening. Or, I mean, I'm not sure where any of us are avoiding the pandemic particularly much. It's a little bit much, it's, you know, it's in our face more or less most days. So I think we're all having to lean into it. But definitely in general, trying to avoid things that are unpleasant or that we don't like tends to, in, in the psychological sense, make them a lot worse. So if we are starting to feel a bit low, just to the cumulative stress of the whole 18 18- months, 
months we've been through, you know, the important part is to actually sit with that and to be able to acknowledge how we really feel. We're not going to sink into it if we do that. In fact, it's quite the opposite. You tend to float. You sink into things when you try to escape from them. Quicksand is a great example I often use, you know, where if you find yourself in quicksand, the worst thing you can do is try to avoid it or escape from it because you actually sink in more quickly. And so the analogy is, you know, you spread eagle and try and establish contact with the surface of the quicksand and then you float. That's a way of thinking about how we can face into and relate to our, our negative and uncomfortable experiences in life is to come close to them, to get in touch with them, to understand them. And that actually allows us to float and reduces how much they tend to consume us or grow. This is something that a lot of us have tried to do during this pandemic or we've given it a red hot try, but can we buy happiness? Because we have certainly been buying a lot of stuff during this pandemic. Certainly, purchasing things can give us a little bit of a dopamine hit, but it's short-lived. And so, no, money doesn't really buy happiness, although certainly financial concern and being without work and having financial worries, that certainly can impact on our well-being and happiness, of course. But, you know, if we've got enough to keep us comfortable, spending more doesn't necessarily produce more happiness. Probably the best thing to do is, and we can't do it at the moment, unfortunately, but the best way to spend your money to buy happiness is actually to spend it on experiences rather than things. So if you go out to dinner with friends when we're allowed to again or, you know, go on a holiday when we can again, all of those sorts of things where you actually buy experiences, they're the things that contribute to our happiness because those experiences last. The things themselves, they kind of end up in a cupboard somewhere. They lose their shininess and they lose their happiness-producing capacity in our lives. Do you think we can be too focused on trying to be happy and that will in turn make us unhappy? Absolutely. When happiness itself becomes a goal, it's actually self-defeating. And that's partly because, you know, as we move towards goals as humans, we often assess along the way how well we're doing and whether or not we're at our desired state of achieving that goal. And of course, when that's happiness, often along the way, we feel some disappointment. We think, well, we're not quite as happy as we'd like to be. And of course, that makes us less happy and undermines the very activity that we're engaging in, which is trying to boost our happiness. So often the other problem there is that when we get too focused on being happy, we tend to find our negative experiences in life as somewhat undermining of our goal to be happy. And of course, that leads us to respond to those in less than adaptive ways. We need to be able to lean into, accept, you know, sit with our unpleasant or uncomfortable or unhappy experiences in life. But when we have a very focal goal of trying to be as happy as we can, that can feel like we're failing. And of course, that's not a great way to respond to what inevitably is an uncomfortable or negative experience we all will have at some point in our lives. So pursuing things that lead to happiness, it can be quite adaptive but pursuing happiness as a goal in itself tends to be counterproductive. In that case, should we try and shift focus to be more in the moment rather than looking down the tracks? I know a lot of people are really hanging on to the fact that this pandemic will be over at some stage and there are plans in place to get some people out of lockdown by the end of the year and that maybe they can travel internationally by the end of the year. But if those things don't happen, I imagine there's a big disappointment coming for some. So should we try and focus a bit more on the moment? I think being in the moment is a great thing. And to the extent that our minds tend to time travel all the time into the past, into the future, and when they do, they tend to focus on the things that worry us or the things that 
concern us. Again, that's how our minds have evolved. They focus on those things that might cause us harm. So to alleviate that, you know, mindfulness and being in the moment, being present is a very good way because we realize, hang on a sec, right here and right now, 99.9% of the time, it's actually okay. There's not a lot that I need to worry about right here and right now. It's always in the future or the past. But having said that, you know, living only in the present doesn't allow us to plan, doesn't allow us to develop a narrative around our lives or to build that sense of purpose and meaning into what we're doing, which all has to link to the past and also the future. But at the same time, I guess we just also have to be comfortable with a bit of that uncertainty too, not worry so much about it and allow it to be what it is. And that does sometimes mean we kind of have to step back from trying to plan too much and maybe just be a bit more present until we're able to make more sense of it all, I guess, or at least have something to hold on to. Where do you find your happiness, Brock? Oh, good question. At the moment, I run a lot in lockdown. I run every day. Just enjoying that time you've got with family, I suppose, is a good way to do it too. Making the most of it, finding some things to do and some activities to do as a family is good. And But mostly, I would have to say, just going for walks and and slowing down a little bit too. I think it's really hard in lockdown. It's very hard to keep the same level of motivation going. You know, you start to slow down a little bit. And I think that that's actually important to maybe make space for that. Because if we keep pushing hard and expecting a lot of ourselves when really we're not in the space, you know, when we're not moving around, we're not interacting with people, we start to lose a bit of energy. So I think, you know, just realising you need to give yourself a bit more space, expect a little bit less over that period, that maybe can be quite a good sort of padding to maintain mental health as well. So how do you find your happy place? Well, here's how the Mamma Mia crew are getting back to theirs. Something that never fails to make me happy now, especially during lockdown, is always hearing my Nana's laugh. I call her about twice a week just to hear her laugh and I can visualise her smiling and it just makes me so, so happy. Putting some headphones on and blasting some music super loud and having a little boog in the kitchen is a super mood lifter for me. I've always found happiness and calm in the ocean, just jumping into that cold water, well it's cold at the moment, and dunking my head under, I always get that feeling of happiness, of grounding, of being back in my happy place. Morning walks. I have never been a morning person, but my head is so much clearer and the rest of my day is so much more positive if I can spend a little bit of time walking outside before I sit down at my desk and start my day. I go on bush walks. It's quiet, there's no screens, no news. You can pretty much pretend the world's normal. I've befriended a neighbour called Mary and her nutty, adorable dog called Rollo. I go down to the park to chat with Mary when she's throwing the ball for the dog for some company as she lives alone. And because she has a problem with her knees, I now take Rollo for weekly big walks around the suburb. In lockdown, I'm finding a lot of happiness in my 5.30 walks. Every day, I'll go on a really long walk, get my 10,000 steps, and I'll call a friend. I don't have many people in my five-kilometre radius, so it's a really good way of reminding me that I have great people in my life, even though I don't really get to see them right now. At the end of the book, When Life Isn't Peachy, Pip gives her list of five gems to look for in your life. One, take time to look at all the things that you've achieved in your life up to this point. Be proud of that. Number two, smell something good. This is a literal version of stopping to smell the roses, but it could be perfume, coffee, frying onions and garlic. Use your nose to mark good times of the day. Number three, look for the good light. 
This is remembering that some of the best things in life can't be owned, like when the sun's rays come shining in through your kitchen window and make that space seem cosier and happier. Number four, imagine getting back with all those people who love you the most and appreciate you for you. Friendships fill our cups. Number five, have a laugh. We've all been keeping a lid on our emotions for so long now. Maybe it's time to break out a giggle. And remember that joy starts with you. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. And speaking of having a laugh, if you've never listened to The Undone, they have this very funny segment called Dating Diary. So each week, either one of the hosts, Em or Lucy, will tell a dating story or they'll read one out from an anonymous submission from a listener, like this one, which was particularly cringy but hilarious. I started seeing this super hot guy who lives in a granny flat out the back of his parents' house. (laughs) (laughs) We went up for drinks with his friends one night. I got blackout drunk, woke up the next morning and wondered why it felt so wet and warm. I had wet the bed. Wait, no. I did what any normal person would do and I pretended to be asleep until he got up and went to work. I then quickly stripped his bed and realised his washing machine was inside and I could see his parents through the back window of the house. So I took all of his sheets, jumped into my car and drove to the laundromat, drove back to his house and made his bed. This guy has since ghosted me. Check out The Undone wherever you get your podcasts. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.